You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. And we're back in Luke 2. Uh, we're taking, again, a short hiatus from Genesis, and I was going to get back into Genesis this morning, uh, but just came across some truths here in Luke 2 as I was reading it this week. Um, and Luke 2 is the climactic chapter of the birth of Jesus Christ. It's probably the most quoted text uh, about his birth. And, and you say, well, Christmas was yesterday. Well, I get it, but we're not dealing directly with his birth as much as we are what happened immediately following the birth of Jesus Christ. And so it really does, I think, connect with what we're, the position we're in this morning. So I'd like to read, we're going to stand, actually, if you wouldn't mind, out of respect for God's word, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And, uh, and just as a reminder, this afternoon, our evening service, it's normally at 6, we're doing that at 2.30, so we got time to go and get lunch and then come back, we'll have an afternoon service and then, and then uh, have some family time and, and whatever you want to do the rest of the day. Uh, but that's happening this, this afternoon. So again, no 6 o'clock tonight. We're meeting at 2.30 instead. And just want to make sure we're clear about that. Okay, Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Uh, this, is, uh, this is a very, very commonly known passage about the birth of Christ. But we're going to read down through verse 20 and see some things that happened after. Verse 8, it says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. I would be too. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. It's interesting to note the first thing they did. After seeing the baby, verse 17, when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. The thing that that stands out to me is the difference it made when they met Jesus. Because things weren't the same after, either for the shepherds or for Mary. 
And I'd like to focus that on that this morning. The title, you might say, is "'Twas the Day After Christmas." The yeah, subtitle, if you're into those sorts of things, would be when Christ becomes real to you. Because Christ became real to them in such a way that it changed them. And the same thing should happen to us if Christ becomes real to us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word. I thank you for this truth. Help me to convey it with the power of your Holy Spirit. I look around the room and, and think about our guests and friends and longtime members and and Father, I don't want them to hear from me. I want them to hear from you. And I pray that your spirit would use your word to illuminate the truth in our hearts. Change us, God. If there's anyone here this morning that has not placed their faith in Christ, I pray that the day after Christmas would be the best day of their lives. And that you would do something in our midst this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Chuck Swindoll um, is a famous pastor, and many of you might know who he is. We don't necessarily agree with all of his theology, but he wrote a poem, "'Twas the Day After Christmas." "'Twas the day after Christmas, and all through the house, every creature was hurting, even the mouse. The toys were all broken, their batteries dead. Santa passed out with some ice on his head. Wrapping and ribbons just covered the floor, while upstairs the family continued to snore. I in my t-shirt, new house shoes and jeans went into the kitchen and started to clean. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from the sink to see what was the matter. Away to the window, I flew like a flash, tore open the curtains and threw up the sash when what to my wondering eyes should appear but a little white truck with an oversized mirror. The driver was smiling so lively and grand the patch on his jacket said, U.S. Postman. With a handful of bills, he grinned like a fox. Then quickly he stuffed them in our mailbox. Bill after bill after bill, they still came. Whistling and shouting, he called them by name. Now Dillard's, now Macy's, now Penny's and Sears. Here's Kohl's and Target, Hobby Lobby, all here. To the tip of your uh, or your limit, every store, every mall. Now charge away, charge away, charge away all. He whooped and he whistled as he finished his work. He filled up the box, then turned with a jerk. He sprang to his truck and drove down the road, driving much faster with just half a load. Then I heard him exclaim with great holiday cheer, Enjoy what you got, you'll be paying all year. Unfortunately, that accurately describes too many American households today. And because of a faulty focus, the day after Christmas feels much emptier than the day before Christmas. And it's, it's left them thinking, many, it's left thinking, that was a letdown. You know, none of us want to be in that position. And none of us want to go through a time, a, a holiday that should reflect Jesus Christ and get so twisted in our thinking that, that we have a letdown. What, what should Christmas, what should the day after Christmas look like for us? Well, you could literally say in our text, it's the day after Christmas. And the people involved in this first Christmas didn't experience a letdown. So what was the difference? What, what made the difference? Well, Christmas... For Mary and the shepherds was the moment that Christ became real to them. 
It's the moment they held the baby for the first time. It's the moment they looked and, and Mary held the baby and, and I mean in her arms and she held him and looked at his face and Christ had to have finally felt real to her. When the shepherds saw a living, breathing baby, all the years of anticipation finally became real to them. It's not that Jesus didn't exist before. We know in John 1 that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Jesus Christ has always existed. He's existed eternally and He will forever. He has no beginning and no end. But he, when He was born to Mary there in Bethlehem, He entered into time and He crawled into, inside a physical, breathing, functioning body. The creator of the universe inside a baby's body. He was finally real and tangible and that's the foundational truth of Christmas, is when Christ becomes reality to you. You know, I have, to, I have to start today by asking if that's ever happened in your life. You know, Christmas as a holiday is one thing, but Christmas as Jesus Christ becoming real in your life. That's another thing entirely. See, the tragedy is that far more, more people celebrate, Christ, celebrate Christmas as an event than there are people to whom Jesus Christ is real in their lives. And those that view Christmas simply as a holiday will spend the day after Christmas no different than the day before, except for maybe some more bills. And sure, they got together with family and they may have a new gift. They might have a new toy to play with and they may make a few memories, but nothing has fundamentally changed about them unless Jesus Christ is real. But for those who view Christmas as a reminder of the reality of Jesus Christ in their lives, something is going to change. You can't help but be changed when you meet Jesus Christ. The reality of Christmas always results in legitimate change. And today I'd like to see what the day after Christmas was like for those to whom Christ became real. And the thought that leads into these, these truths is this, when Christ becomes real to you. When Christ becomes real to you, number one, I'm just getting right into it this morning. Forgive me. When Christ becomes real, real to you, you're going to proclaim his message. Verse 17, it says, And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. See, two things happened to the shepherds. They heard an announcement from the angels, and then they saw the baby in the manger. So think about it. They heard the announcement from the angels. They heard God's word, and then they witnessed it come to pass... In the manger, these two elements were present in many ways that describes our salvation experience. In that we so, we, so then faith cometh by hearing, the Bible says, Romans 10, 17, and hearing by the word of God, but whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, it's one thing to hear the message of God, hear God's word uh, proclaimed and, and hear a message from him, him but, but it doesn't necessarily mean at that moment that Jesus becomes real to you, you take a step of faith in salvation. And that same, that same process took place with the shepherds. If, if they had only had one or the other, think about it, how empty that would have been. If they had been on the hillside and the, and the angels had come and sang and, and gave praise to God and said, glory to God in the highest, there's a, a baby born tonight. And, and they would heard all that and they had remembered that. 
And so they went to go look for the baby. And they searched all through Bethlehem and never came across him. You know how empty that would feel? But, but if they had, on the other hand, had just been wandering the streets of Bethlehem and come across a stable and looked inside a feeding trough and there's a young mother and a young father and a baby sitting in the manger, they'd have been like, oh, okay, that's nice, it's a baby. But they wouldn't have known who he was. So these two things came together in the, the minds of the shepherds to really emphasize and drive home the point that, that, that what was happening was of the Lord and it was real. They heard the announcement, they saw the baby, and it's, it says, when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying, uh, which was told them concerning the child, and all they that heard it wondered of those things which were told them by the shepherd. But it says that, that, that they had heard it and they'd seen it. They'd made known abroad the things that came to them. Listen, for those of us who've been saved, hearing God's word and placing your faith in Christ should bring about undeniable change in your life, and for many of us it has. We heard the word, we placed our faith in Christ, and I'm telling you, if you've been saved, you know it's real. You heard the word, you placed your faith in Christ, and it became reality to you, just like for the shepherds. I mean, it was a double confirmation. They heard it, they experienced it. And I hope that you're thankful today for salvation. I mean, aren't you grateful for God's incredible grace and his incredible mercy? Aren't you thankful? I look around the room and know that some of you have come from a background that you had no hope in life and, and really were, you were bound for destruction like we all were, but you had a tough life and you had a, a, tough, a, a tough upbringing and nobody would have ever pegged you to be sitting at Eastside Baptist Church on December 26, 2021 based upon where you're from. I'm telling you, are you thankful for salvation this morning? Okay, so question, if God has so fundamentally changed you, by the hearing of his word and the experiencing of salvation by faith in Christ, why don't we feel more obligated to let others know? The shepherds didn't waste a moment the day after Christmas. See, there may be nothing more tragic than a recipient of important news not passing it along. I mean, if a bridge is out ahead and you're driving along and somebody flags you down and says, stop, stop, don't keep driving, the bridge is out ahead and you, you take that news and you turn around and you, as you're driving away, there's another car coming and you just drive on. You know how sad and tragic that is? That you wouldn't stop and tell somebody else the news that saved your life? Well, the same thing, really, that's a picture of too many Christians in our culture, in our world today, is that somebody told them and somebody rescued them and their life was turned around and they're driving now the other direction and car after car passes them at Walmart or the grocery store or their neighbors and they never stop to tell anybody else. It's the greatest tragedy, in my opinion, the greatest tragedy among God's people today is that we don't tell people urgently about the news that could save their, their spiritual lives. What a tragedy. This, the shepherds, though, they didn't, they didn't stop. They didn't, they didn't, say, uh, they didn't spare in a moment. They, they jumped in. They started telling people about what they'd seen. Listen, salvation is available to all men. You know that? For God so loved the world, it says. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, Titus said. 1 Timothy 2 states that God our Savior will have all men 
to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Don't let anybody convince you that Christ's atonement is limited. That his offer is exclusive. Don't let anybody convince you that his love is selective. He died for the sins of the whole world, including yours. So let's take it a step further. If you know that Christ died for everyone and you've received the gift yourself, do you feel an obligation to tell people? Because it goes further even. Recipients should tell others and knowing it's available to all should obligate us. But we've also been explicitly given a responsibility to spread the message of Jesus Christ around the world. Matthew 28, go you. Mark 16, preach the gospel to every creature. Acts 1.8, ye shall be witnesses. The shepherds didn't hesitate to spread the message that Christ had come as Savior of the world. So why do we? Where's our zeal to share the gospel with the lost? How sad that we have to be motivated externally or reminded externally. The difference Christ has made in us should be all the reason we ever need to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. Verse 18, it says, they wondered. The people that heard it, all they that heard it, wondered at those things. See, wondered means amazed. Your testimony will be so compelling to others that they won't be able to ignore it. You know why? Because these were just shepherds. Shepherds. I mean, they, they weren't impressive. They, weren't, they were not the messengers. You and I would, would say, okay, you, you're, I'm going to handpick shepherds to be the first people to tell others that Jesus is born. We wouldn't have selected them. God could have spread his message by kings and priests or politicians. But he chose lowly shepherds to tell other people about Jesus. It's amazing that he would do it this way. And listen, God has still called the lowly to spread his message. Because we're nothing important. We're nothing special. We're just saved sinners by grace. And he says, you... You're the ones I pick. I want you to be, to be the ones to tell my message to the world. I want you to tell people that about Jesus Christ. He didn't pick anybody impressive. He didn't pick anybody rich or smart. No, he says, no, I just want normal people to spread the message just like these shepherds. What a calling we have. And just like the shepherds, our transformation combined with our message can change the world. Don't miss the opportunity, but I'm asking you this morning, when's the last time you boldly gave someone the gospel? I don't just mean you left a track on a, on a dining room table somewhere. I don't mean that you just leave a track somewhere. I mean, when's the last time you gave somebody the gospel? Because if Christ is real to you, you won't be able to hide the message. The more real he is to you, the more real he'll be for in you for others to see. Listen, your commitment to the Great Commission directly reflects the reality of Christ in your life. It's convicting, but we need to hear it the day after Christmas. When Christ becomes real to you, number two, your relationship will be personal. Look what Mary did in verse 19. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. You see, the reality of Christ will change your relationship with God from, from something external or something impersonal to something real. Something transformed within Mary after these events. Pondered means to come together or converse. So it's not just thinking about something. It's a depth of thinking. It's almost like a conversation with yourself. And listen, you ought to have some conversations with yourself. 
I mean, be careful who you talk to yourself around because they may look at you funny, but it's good to have conversations with yourself. We too often don't go any deeper than just the shallow thoughts and a conversation with ourselves will help us to see things more deeply. Mary pondered these things. She was thinking deeply and she had a lot to ponder too, by the way. I mean, God had chosen her to, to, uh, out of every young woman on earth to be the one that carries the child Jesus Christ. She'd probably been gossiped about, mocked for being pregnant before marriage. They'd had to travel 80 miles uh, just to get to Bethlehem and pay taxes. And she'd had to place her baby in a feeding trough. And still, she got to be the one. She was chosen among everybody. And she knows she didn't deserve it. We talked about that last week. She knows who she was. She, she was just an average, normal girl. And God picked her. He had chosen her to be the mother of Christ. And she would be known in every generation after this. But if you don't stop to consider God's grace in your lives every once in a while, you might forget just how good he's been to you. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I mean, I once was lost. I had no hope except that somebody would find me where I was, and Jesus did. And he brought us back to himself and saved us. I'm telling you, grace is amazing. For us to sing a song like Amazing Grace and be like, well, I've sung this a hundred times. Just think about where you'd be without the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's good for us to stop and ponder those things sometimes. You know, your relationship with God will only be as deep as the time and effort you put into meditating on those kinds of truths. I'm going to say that again because I believe it's true. Your relationship with God will only be as deep as the time and effort you spend meditating on the truths of God's word. Otherwise, it'll remain surface level. You'll forget just how much of a wretch you were. You'll forget just how lowly you were. You'll forget that God is great and holy and mighty and you're just a sinner with, who doesn't deserve anything good from him. But he's looked down on you and, and given you all kinds of benefits and primarily salvation. Most Christians have a surface level relationship with God. They simply live the, an external Christian life. And if you want to take your relationship with God to a level of depth you've never known before, you must clear off a spot... And ponder. I'm telling you, we're far too distracted. It's, we're far too distracted. We've, we've always got a device in front of our face. And the TV's always on. And the Christmas music, thank the Lord, it's going to be turned off soon. But the Christmas music has been playing for months straight, it seems like. I mean, we've always got something going Talk radio is always in the background. There's always something going. But I'm telling you, the sweetest times that you will ever have in your relationship with God is when you close the door and turn it off and open your Bible and just ponder. Just think. Just dwell. Meditate. Let it revolve. The reason we forget about God's grace is because we're reading our Bibles as we're speeding through red lights to get to work on time. It's playing in the background. Well, you know, that's good enough. I've done it too. I'm like, well, I, I, I didn't have all the time I wanted, so I set it to play, and then I am driving or doing something else. It's not the same. That's like saying it's the same 
to watch church and not be there. I'm not going to get into that. But, you know, yeah. for all those of you live streaming, that's, that, uh, you know, I'm thankful. Sorry, our camera's over here now. Thank you for watching. It's not the same. God is not best viewed through a screen. He's not best listened to through a device. It's time to open our Bibles again. And ponder and listen and meditate. Listen, what, is, what God has done for you deserves a heart relationship. Not just going through the motions. I mean real heart relationship. Mary, ponder these things in her heart. He loves you. He provides for you. And he, he's blessed you with family. He, if you're saved, he's blessed you spiritually. He's given you friends. He's given you a church family. And if he's ever done anything more for you than you deserve, then stop and just think about it every once in a while. You'll find that your relationship with God is going from peripheral to personal. Do you know God uh, on a heart level? Because, you know, he's not interested in people that just go through the motions. I mean, Matthew 5, blessed are the pure in heart, he says. Proverbs 4, keep thy heart with all diligence. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Proverbs 21, 2, every, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. You know, it's interesting that the Lord is always pondering your heart. But sometimes we go months without pondering the, the blessings of God. He's always thinking about you. He's always looking at you. He's always just hoping that there will be a breakthrough in your spiritual life. And you'll, have, you'll walk with him and you'll, you'll get to know him and you'll seek him. He's seeking us all the time. He's pondering us all the time. And yet we as his people, we claim to be great Christians. But the last time we stopped to meditate on his word, it's been months. And it's time for us to go from surface level. Listen, the world does not need more surface level Christians. The world needs some people that are real. That Christ is real to them. And it's a heart level relationship. If your Christian life has been missing the heart, the way to make it personal is to clear your schedule and ponder for a while. Well, what do I ponder? Well, you ponder what he says in his word. And you ponder the works he's done in your life. So you say, well, what's the formula for pondering? His word and his works. I'm telling you, if you would ponder his word and his works, you'd never run out of material about which to meditate. You know, Christ becomes real to you. You're going to proclaim his message and you're going to, it, your relationship will be personal. But third, when Christ becomes real to you, you'll discover a greater reason to live. Look at verse 20. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. See, the shepherds went home, but listen, they didn't go home the same. The Bible says they went back glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen. And that phrase, it, it goes back to what I was saying earlier. It says that, that as it was told unto them, they heard the word and then they actually saw it played out in their lives. And listen, that's the Christian life. See, by, by faith, sometimes it's hard to see it because we, you know, we hear God's word preached and, and we hear these truths and, and, and it's tough to obey sometimes. I mean, it's not always easy. I mean, I think about it as a parent, 
you know, uh, it, say, it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. You know, as a parent, before I was a parent, I was like gung-ho about that verse. It's like, yes, that's true. Then I started having kids and realized that kids don't, kids come programmed with all the wrong software. You've got to take it all off first, and then you've got to start reinstalling. You know, I thought it's going to be easy. But, but those kids are just as, I mean, they're just as much sinners as, as their mom. And so it's like, you know, and their dad, and their dad, kidding. Merry Christmas, you get the couch. Okay, so, but you know, it's easy to have a strong opinion about things, but when you start obeying it and trying to do it, and you don't see the end of it, you're like, I'm not sure this works or not. And most people quit before they see it come to pass. They don't give it time. But see, God's word is always true. And if you'll obey it and you'll live it and you'll give it time, then eventually you're going to see it, what it says always happens. There are no exceptions. It always happens. It always comes to pass. And I'm telling you, you talk about a faith builder. When you put God's word to the test and it eventually comes out to say, oh, okay, that's true. That really happened. I'm telling you, your faith will be built. And it will be developed to a point that you never thought you could have faith that strong. But as that happens, you start realizing, okay, there's a bigger purpose for me, for me to live for. Because if God's word is real, and, and this really is true, what he says will come to pass, I want to be a part of that. I don't want to miss out on that. And I really believe that's what the shepherds, because it says they, they went glorifying and praising God for the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. They had seen God's word played out in their lives. And they say, okay, if that's the way it works, I've got a bigger reason to live. I've got a greater purpose for which to live. And, and they went home for, with a different motivation for life. Their response to the fact that God's word is always right was they glorified and praised him. They went home with a different song on their lips and a different motive in their hearts. You know, here's, it's interesting. You would think the shepherds would have been more impressed if they'd had gone to find the baby and he's, and he's in a throne room surrounded by kings and servants and soldiers. They would have gone, you would think they, were, they would go home glorifying and praising him. But that's not what they found. They found a king lying in a feeding trough and they went home glorifying and praising See, what, what it means is it's one thing. Yeah, you can glorify and praise a God who sits on a throne and rules with an iron rod. Yeah, he deserves it. But, but what really stood out, what stood out to me and probably stood out to them was that this is the creator, but he's a baby laying in a manger. So it's not just he rules and creation and he just strikes us down, you know, at his whim and he just rules from an iron throne. No, but he would be willing to come as a baby to meet our greatest need, which is sin. That's a reason to praise our God. Yeah, he deserves our praise because he's all powerful. But he really deserves our praise because he's also personal and loves us enough to come and be born to this, on this dirty planet and walk the streets and be just like us minus the sin so that he could die on a cross. Well, that's a God that is worthy of our praise and glory. You know, one more point to make from these. This is interesting. The shepherds went back to where they came from. So they went home. They went back to their families. They, they went back to their flocks. 
The next night, the day after Christmas, the next night, they were probably back on the hillside. But they were different. They went back with a different focus. They went back with God's glory in mind. Here's the reality of it. Your circumstances don't have to change for you to live for a higher purpose. I'm going to say that again because I think it's, 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 it's very important and we might miss it. Your circumstances don't have to change for you to live for a higher purpose. See, some people are looking for a change in their circumstances or a change in their life to, to change their lives. You're saying, well, I would do that. I would be at, at more services. I would do more for God. I would, if, if this was different and that was different. No, listen, there's no guarantee that your circumstances will ever change. And even if they do change, they can't do anything on a heart level to change you. A new house or a new car or new money or a new spouse won't change your heart because circumstances aren't the problem. The problem is you're seeking contentment in places that it cannot be found. But if you will truly meet Christ and Christ will become real to you once he becomes real and reality, you'll discover you can live for a higher purpose in spite of how many problems you face in your life. You can live for a higher purpose as a shepherd on a hillside. You can live for a higher purpose as a mechanic down at the local shop. You can live for a higher purpose as a student. You can live for a higher purpose as a teenager. You can live for a higher purpose if your kids are, are gone and grown and you're retired. Listen, we can all live for a higher purpose. God doesn't say you have to be this or you have to be that. No, he says you just have to have an encounter with me. And when you finally meet me for real and I become real... You're going to discover that a higher purpose of living is available to everybody. And I, don't, I no longer have to say, well, you know, if my circumstance would change, I'd finally live for God. No, you can live for God in the position you're in. As a shepherd on a hillside, as an employee in an office job, uh, every day you can live for God for a higher purpose. The shepherds did it. God changed their purpose. He changed their motivation. He changed their reason for living. They went back glorifying and praising God. Here's the idea. You may have had Christmas and you got together with family and you opened gifts and you laughed and maybe listened to music and you enjoyed food and fellowship. But that's not what Christmas means. Christmas isn't real until Christ becomes real to you. And if you have a legitimate encounter with Jesus, you won't be the same after. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a what? He's a new creature. If you meet Jesus, it'll result in sweeping change in your life. And if that evidence is not there, it's time for an examination this morning. See, if you aren't passionate about telling others about Christ like the shepherds, you may have to ask yourself, is Jesus real to me? Because if he's real to you, according to this, you wouldn't hold back from telling his message. If Jesus Christ was truly real in our lives, we'd be shouting that message from the housetops. If you're all about religion and church and or being active and busy, that's great. But if there's not an active heart level relationship, there's a strong chance the reality of Jesus Christ isn't present in your life. To just go through the motions and, and, and live in such a way that it looks like you're living for God but have nothing internal about it is an implication that Jesus Christ isn't real in your life. And if you're living for a purpose other than the glory of God, 
meaning the dollar runs your life or your work schedule dictates what you do or some bowling or sports league dictates what service you make or miss or some relationship tells you what's most important or your college education is so, it keeps you so busy that you don't have time for God or, or anything, you name it. If there's anything that's more important in your life than the purpose of a living for God and his glory, I would venture to say that Christ isn't real enough to you. And you might say, well, that's pretty judgy, my girls will say. Well, that's the word of God doing its work. See, when you meet Jesus for real, this is not my judgment, folks. When you meet Jesus for real, you're going to tell others and you'll have a heart relationship and you'll be living for a higher purpose. Because when there's an actual encounter with the God of heaven, you can't help but experience change. If that was true that first Christmas, it's still true today. Is Christ real to you? When's the last time you boldly shared the gospel? Is Christ real to you? Well, when's the last time you turned everything off and simply interacted with God just using his word and your prayer life? If Christ is real to you, when's the last time you let God's glory dictate one of your life's decisions? Instead of just doing what you want to do, the message from God's word on this day after Christmas is this. If Jesus is real to you, there will be evidence. You couldn't hide it if you wanted. So the opposite must be true. If there's little evidence, if you can hide Jesus at work or at school or at home with your friends and family, what does that say about how real he is to you? If you can go weeks on end without communicating with him on a heart level, for real, how real is he to you? If you can live your life without considering him the, major, the majority of, uh, with the majority of decisions and, and just kind of living your life without really considering him, how real does that mean he is to you? Because the day after Christmas looks way different for the person that has truly had an encounter with Jesus Christ. You can't meet the Lord and not have it change who you fundamentally are. So what does your witness for Christ say about his reality in your life? And what does your walk with Christ say about his reality in your life? And what does your focus in life say about Christ's reality in your life? Would you give the Holy Spirit this morning permission to examine the evidence in your life on this day after Christmas? See, if you would say, I might even say, I don't think Christ has ever been real to me. And to that I would say, yes, that's sad. But I've got really good news. <laughs> because this day after Christmas could be the best day of your life. Because you might say, I've lived my whole life and Christ has never been real. I just don't even know that I've ever had a relationship. Well, if that's the case, probably you haven't. But you can. And the truths that you need to understand is that, number one, you're a sinner. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And the wage of your sin is death, Romans 6.23. But God commendeth his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died on a cross. Even though you were a sinner, are a sinner, and your sin deserves eternal judgment, separation from God, Jesus Christ came to pay your sin debt. And the Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if Jesus Christ has never been real to you, number one, he is real. 
But number two, he can be real to you today. So I say that to the lost this morning who's never placed their faith in Christ. But I also say it to the Christian who's lost their way. Because it's pretty easy to just live life. Be saved and serve a a Jesus who isn't real to us daily. So examine the evidence today. How's your witness? How's your walk? And what are you living for? Those three things should tell us very clearly how real Jesus is to us. And if we fall short in any of those areas, today's the day to come and humble ourselves before Holy God and say, if you went to those links to be real to me, in return, I'm going to lay aside all the things that are keeping me from having a real relationship with you. Because I'm telling you, there's nothing greater than a real, real relationship with a real God. And it can be yours today. Let's stand together. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.